figured we'd go ahead and switch shit up a little bit. Because I'm in the mood to try... You know, we, we tried something new the last time. Well, relatively new, anyway. With taking calls from the Fickle Fanboy line. And today, I want to go ahead and try out a new segment that uh, I've tentatively called the shits because really all it is is lists that i've come up with while on the crapper you know and uh many of them are in one way or another sort of scat oriented i mean you've got uh movies that were just the absolute shit You've got comic book characters and comic book story arcs and several other things that were the absolute shits. And then <laughs> you'll even have wrestlers and wrestling angles that were, for one reason or another, the drizzling shits. But today, I'm going with a list that I recently came up with of the most underrated and underutilized wrestlers of all time. And while most of these guys, if not all of them, had runs elsewhere that were, for one reason or another, um, at least in my eyes, maybe a tad bit more successful, if not uh, noteworthy, each one of these guys, I'll be focusing on their WWE <coughs> runs, okay? But these are the wrestlers that, if you ask me, yeah, this isn't to say that 
They didn't draw as much money as the late great Andre the Giant, or weren't as famous, or even as well known as Hogan or Flair, or any of that other shit. But crap, were they great. You know? I mean, they were, as I said, if you ask me, the absolute shit. And nobody knew it. Or at least everybody knew it, but didn't seem to care. Because they never saw their full potential. So, I give you lists that come to me while on the throne. Now it's time for something super. List while I made on the pooper. Now it's time for something super. List while I made on the pooper. Yeah, man, can you dig it? Alright, so, uh, I'm going to start this off by giving you, well, let's see here, well, as much as I hate to say it, number one is <laughs> kind of an obvious one, if you ask me, because number one on the list was uh, Dustin Rhodes. No. Or was it Cody Rhodes? Or was it Dusty Rhodes? You know what? Hell. Let's just go ahead and just start the list off by saying the whole Rhodes family. Because. Oh, fuck. I mean. They, don't get me wrong. They. <laughs> no pun intended. But made absolute gold out of what they were given. But for Dustin, hell, when I think of everything after he made his debut in the WWE <coughs> against uh, the likes of Ted DiBiase, who is actually on the list, but we'll get to him. When I think of everything that came after that, Really, the only thing I hear is... And that's just sad. Because there is not a second-generation wrestler that is on the roster today for the biggest company in the industry that is better on the mic. Wait, wait, wait. I take that back. Bray Wyatt's just as good. But he's not on the list because he's actually finally got his due. But when I think of wrestlers that have never gotten what they're rightfully due because of not just their talent on the mic, but uh, their undeniable talent in the ring, uh, I, I gotta say, there's not a second-generation wrestler in that company that is as good as Dustin. And that's just, that's all there is to it. And yeah, back in 1996, 7, and so on, Goldust worked, okay? I'll give him that. But... After he jumped ship, 
back to WCW for his, his second stint in the company. And after he made his debut as Seven, which will be on a whole other list. But after he did that, and then made his transition back to Dustin Rhodes. When the company shut down, and WW <laughs> bought it, when he came back into the fold, there was no reason other than, well, goddamn, pal, I didn't create that. I created gold dust. There was no other reason than that to make him go back into the gold and the black. Okay, there was, there was no other reason because to put him back in the makeup and then bury him back to the mid card, it, it bum fuzzles me, which is just a fun word. And then to give Cody Rhodes a shot at the company and just... Do the same thing, but, uh, you know, in reverse. I mean, when Goldust made his debut, for better or worse, he made his debut as one of the top stars in the company and then got buried to the mid-card. But, well, Cody started at the mid-card and... <laughs> To no fault of its own. Because other than a slight lisp that can kind of get annoying on the mic. His talent on that mic is amazeballs. Okay? And his ability to entertain in the ring is damn near second to none. So to say that they didn't know what the hell to do with him is just depressing you know because when it comes to him and his whether it be his stint with DiBiase Jr. and Randy Orton or whether it be just any bit of it the fact that they stumbled over themselves so much and so many times to try and figure out what to do with him just makes absolutely no sense. And then, not only do they do just sit there in the corner and play with themselves as they try to think, what the hell do we do? What the hell do we do? What the hell do we do? I mean, what do they do? They put him in damn near the same makeup as his older brother. And... They call him Stardust. Which, yeah, was great for much of it. But after the tag team of Goldust and Stardust ran its course, not only did they fuck up an angle where they could have elevated the two brothers, but... They fucked it up so badly that they just had to keep promising him 
Oh yeah, don't worry about it. One one day you'll get out of the makeup. Don't no no don't worry about it. No don't no. I mean, they they had an angle. They were fighting the powers that be, basically the authority, and bucking the law. And they even included their daddy into the angle. And then at the conclusion of that angle. You had the turn of stardust. And, well, <laughs> that, that just, <laughs> no, man, just no. Fuck. You don't waste that shit at fast lane or roadblock or any other B pay-per-view. That right there could have been, no pun intended, but rode out for at least another month or so to mania of that year. But no. And then, not only do you do that and botch up the whole damn thing, but when it comes to the fans' reaction. The same fans that you swear up and down you're listening to. As you hear them chant, Cody, 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 and things of that nature. You you have this little twist where Stardust seems to be, in many ways, almost struggling to stay at the forefront. And not give in to his, well, not alter ego, because shit, he is the alter ego. But not crumble under the pressure as Cody makes his triumphant return. But done right, you could have had that return at Raw the next night. But did you? No! And why not? Well, simple. Because <laughs> you pretty much did the two sons just like you did their daddy. Dusty Rhodes, who is one of the best minds of the business. One of the best talkers in history. He's the man behind such... Wonderful moments as uh, war games, for instance, and God knows how many finishes that just left us with <laughs> our jaws on the floor, live and in public, if you will. But <laughs> it it confuses me. It really fucking does. How you could take <laughs> that 200 and some plus pounds of blue-eyed soul and put him in the mid-card against little more than jobbers, except for maybe a few quick stints here and there in different feuds that really never saw their true potential, you know. You put him in these feuds for all of 
just enough time to pacify him while sticking him in polka dots and putting him with sapphire. And I just, I don't get it. You know, I, I really don't. I look at his mic skills, whether it be as a NWA champion or, hell, as a WCW commentator. Even on play-by-play, he was fucking awesome. I mean, yeah, sure, sure, you couldn't understand half of what he was saying, but you got it. You know, for one reason or another, you got it. And to say that as good as he was on the mic, he was three times better in the ring and was one of the best sellers in the business. To say that he went from feuding with the horsemen and getting jumped by the four in a parking lot to that, when I look at that, it's really not any damn surprise that the company did his offspring like they did. But whatever. Moving on. Because next on the list, I just uh, touched on Dusty's feud with the Horsemen. So it really, it, it feels right that the next person on the list is a Horseman. Not just any Horseman, though, but the man that gave the most elite group in sport no, fuck sports entertainment in wrestling history their name cause number two on the list is Arn Anderson and he's on the list for oh so many reasons but mostly because he could go into the ring and work with anybody. Whether you were side by side or across the ring from him. And he could make you, and not just could, but would make you, look a hundred times better than you were before and possibly, in many cases, a thousand times better than you should look. And he did this for years and years and years. Until injury, tragically, cut his shit short. But before that, hell, it didn't matter where he was or how long he'd been doing it. When he went out there, into those lights, and through those people, he gave you everything that you paid for and more and I had the luck to be able to see that with my own eyes because I I got to see him tagging with (laughs) the late and I don't care what you say 
<laughs> great in the business, Chris Benoit. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to advocate anything about Chris personally. Because what he did at the end is just absolutely abhorrent and disgusting. But to say that you have people like the Dynamite Kid, who, if you ask his ex-wife, was just an absolute fucking gem of a person. And you have ex-druggies and God knows how many people on the network that... Uh, yeah, they they were great in the ring, but behind the curtain were just <laughs> total douchebags. But to say you have them, and yeah, you, you have him on the network, but other than that, <laughs> you don't uh, acknowledge that he was ever part of the company, <laughs> or uh, even on the network. I mean, yeah, you have his matches and his interviews and promos. But you don't have them marked on any of the programs. I mean, if you go to the network and you go to nine times out of ten, almost any program that they have on there, you can go and look. And on that scrolling line that uh, shows you where you are on the program and how long you have left, Many times, they'll have dots. And if you hover your cursor over these dots, it'll tell you what beginning or end of what match you're currently uh, hovering over. But when it comes to Chris's matches, you just, you have absolutely no way to tell where the fuck they are. It just kind of shows this empty little space where it seems like they have absolutely nothing between the match that came before him and the match that comes after him. It's almost like that's either a really long commercial break or the longest fucking promo that anybody's ever cut. And when you have 25 minutes of promo that comes at the beginning of uh, damn near every single Raw for the last, what, three, four, five years or so? That's saying something. But yeah, they, they tried to damn near wash uh, Chris Benoit completely from the company. And that's just sad, because his work was... Uh, it, not only did it pave the way, for many of the workers today. But, you know, that is what it is. Enough about Chris, because we're, we're not on him. We're on Arn. Because Arn, you give him a damned microphone or an opponent, and no matter where he was or whether or not the cameras were rolling, and he gave you 120%. And he made you believe. Which 
is something that is sorely missing from today's product. And as much as he could do with an opponent, if you give him a mic, the moment that it got in his hands, it became a weapon of mass fucking destruction. Because that night that he and Benoit went up against Knobs and Sags, the Nasty Boys, before a single punch had been thrown, he cut a promo on his opponents, who at that point had retreated to the outside, and... Damn near refused to get back in. And as he threw the mic back out of the ring, you heard the whole damn place erupt. And that was my first time. That, that wasn't my first time at a house show. But that was my first time truly understanding greatness. It wasn't my first time seeing greatness. But it was my first time understanding greatness. And to say that a man who was credited with such great moments in the history of the biz and is given his credit for things like when Triple H drops that knee to the face or delivers that spine buster that truly looks like it could shatter someone's backbone. Yeah, he's given credit for that. But he was never given the credit that he deserved while he was still wrestling. Because you could have easily put the damn title on him. And you could have given him one of the longest damned runs with that big gold belt that anybody had ever seen. But you didn't. You just didn't. And that's a shame. Because without him, not only would we not have the horsemen, but we might not even have... (laughs) some of the talent that would eventually become a horseman. Such as the next person on the list. Brian fucking Pillman. Because the man behind the mullet that would rise to stardom, or at least, you know, semi-stardom, yeah, he saw his due to... A certain extent, but it, it almost seemed like to get over, he had to work twice as hard. And to say that about a man who, uh, more than a dozen and a half individuals who have gotten in the ring with him, described as being able to have a match with a fucking pencil and a man who actually did at one time 
in ECW have a match with a fucking pencil and made it entertaining. Well, <laughs> thanks to Mr. Bookerman, he never, ever got what he should have gotten. Because if nothing else, he should still be the longest reigning intercontinental champion of all damn time. Because just like Arn Anderson, if you gave him a mic, it didn't matter if it was uh, against Stone Cold Steve Austin in the WWE <laughs> or against Juice and Thunder Liger. He could cut a promo that left you mesmerized. And that's because, like Double A, if you gave Pillman a microphone, it was a bazooka, or uh, that 9mm that <laughs> you pulled on Austin all those years ago. And in many ways, his style of you never know what he's going to say or do in the ring made way for people like CM Punk and his pipe bomb. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it may not have been in the same style as uh, said pipe bomb, but in many ways, there are very obvious uh, similarities. And again, uh, much like Arn is credited with giving this person or that person uh, their style or one of their moves, I would dare to say that Brian Pillman and his style and many of the moves that he could pull off on that top rope are absolutely positively to blame for today's style. And uh, maybe, maybe blame's not the right word, because I'm not saying that's a bad thing by any means. But you get my point. Which is actually good, because I'm going to the next on the list. Because I want all you sweaty, no-good, fat lazy sweat hogs to sit your ass right there and shut up and relax as I tell you why Rick Rude is on this fucking list. And frankly, it should be obvious because the man had some of the absolute best matches and overall feuds that I I could think of. I mean, whether it be with Sting, or Jake Roberts, or Sting again. I mean, the man could even have <laughs> wonderful matches with <laughs> a brick wall, like Ultimate Warrior, God rest his soul. Who, yeah, let, let's face it. It's easy to label him now that he's gone as the late, great, and whatever. But 
he wasn't great. He was barely good. I mean, don't get me wrong, he was entertaining as hell. But, no. But Rick Rude, on the other hand, no matter what part he was playing, could sit there while Bobby Heenan <laughs> uh, grabbed the mic and get heat just with the side of him. <laughs> he could go out there and wrestle a hard-hitting match with a barbarian, or he could go out there and stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with <laughs> Bret Hart in the most technical of matches. Or he could grab the stick and talk his way into wrestling fans getting so up in arms that they're tossing shit at him. He could stand in the corner of uh, Triple H and HBK and uh, play the part of the muscle somehow or another, their security. And he could do it just as well as Kevin Nash did just a, a few short years before for HBK. Or he could get involved in a, a match with Brian Adams. No, no, no. Not uh, Summer of 69 Brian Adams, no. <laughs> Talking about Crush. You know, he could go ahead and get involved and beat the guy down with some of the most vicious-looking kicks ever as part of the NWO. But no matter what he did, you bought him in that role. And to say that he never got the strap is insane to me. So. Because he could make you believe in a narcissistic asshole and make you not just hate him, but love to hate him. Again, something that is missing from today. You know, as you have fans begging and pleading and cheering Dolph Ziggler as he... <laughs> tries to break some dude's ankle with a chair. As you have that, <laughs> you know, and, and other prime examples of today's talent, <laughs> trying so fucking hard and falling flat on their asses in an attempt to get <laughs> any sort of heat. And within my lifetime, we've gone to that from a day where fans not just hated you, but <laughs> they'd love to hate you. And they loved every minute of hating you. And it, it, it wasn't just the wrestlers. But we'll, we'll again get to that later with uh, <laughs> some honorable mentions. But next on the list is actually one of Rick Rude's most wonderful opponents, Jake the Snake Roberts.
and forget hating him. This man could go out there and, you know, many of the greats could make you believe in the match. But most people knew that when it came to any number of people, what you got in the ring wasn't exactly what you got if you'd see him, I don't know, at a Chili's. But <laughs> Jake, yeah, he, he could go out there and make you believe in every damned move. But while he was scaring the absolute daylights out of your ass, he was doing so in a way that made you convinced that what you saw was what you got in the ring and in life. And to do that, to make you see someone as cold-blooded as Jake the Snake Roberts, and in your mind be absolutely positive that he could just as easily stab you as look at you. If you had so much as seen him outside of the arena at a, I, I don't know, Kmart or some shit. That takes a talent like very few have today. In the closest that I can think of, I know that some people might say I'm all up in his ass, uh, you know, because this isn't going to be the first time that I've mentioned him, but the closest that I can think of is, well, no one sells their character and the idea of absolute knuck-and-futs crazy as Ray Wyatt has in the last, you know, however many years. But in between Jake and Bray, I, I, I can't think of uh, a single person that I've seen that made me go, mm, you know, I'd bet he'd be just like that if we went out drinking together. And that has nothing to do with the way that he sold a, a move or a punch. But it had everything to do with the way he sold himself. You know, so many are, are worried about selling a, a kick to the gut or a, a match that's coming up. But they forget to try and sell themselves. Make themselves believable. Uh, you know, I believed back in the day that, uh, you know, if given the chance, Jake the Snake would probably end me in a way that would make Freddy Krueger even say, dude, that's fucked up. You know, and it was because he made you give him a little something of yourself. Your fear. 
And that in itself is why I say that one of the greatest crimes ever to befall the sport of wrestling is the fact that Jake the Snake Roberts never got a title. I mean, granted, uh, I believe that uh, in my heart of hearts, he deserved the world title, but any title would have done. But he, he never got his chance to really show people what he could do. And because of that, he never really got what I feel he so richly deserved. I mean, hell, he spent so much time getting people ready for Hogan that I think that if you had given him a chance, shit, it would have been one for the record books. Because whether it was a fast-paced match against Macho Man Randy Savage or a slow psychological match against Undertaker, he could talk your asses into the seats. And and then, whether it was 7,000 people in Iowa or... 16,000 people in California, he could entertain you like nobody else to the point where if his match had been the only one on that card, you would have been fine with it. And few people have that ability to make you feel with one match like you got your money's worth. And that's the effect that Jake had on you. And that's why it's a damn shame that he never rose to the level that he really, really deserved. But the next on the list is Terry Funk, a man who... Whether it be when he broke into the business with his brother and his daddy in Texas, or even just recently when he was on what had to have been his 57th retirement world tour, this is a man who gave his all, night in, night out, blood, sweat, and tears, and yeah, he he was believable and entertaining on the mic, although he may not have been the absolute best on it. But the moves that he did give you were not only believable, but for the last probably oh, 20 years of his career, they left you in awe. Not because someone did what he did, but because he did what he did. Uh, a man his age, and, and, and a man 
that love the business so damn much that you you were almost convinced that there might be a chance that he'll die in that ring. It's because that kind of man did what he did. And he could go in there with anyone. Bruiser Brody? Rick Banana-Nosed Flair, as he would call him? Even Mick Foley? And every single week, week in and week out for years and what turned out to be decades... He could have the match of his life. And that's that's amazing. Because even many of the greats, if you were to be asked for your favorite match of, well, it could be anyone, you could probably count them on one hand. You might need the first two fingers of your other hand, but... That's it. But not with Terry. With Terry, you'd need your hands, your toes, the hands and toes of uh, some of your best friends, the paws of the uh, stray dog that just walked by. And even then, you still wouldn't be able to count all the matches that come to mind. And that's just for those people who only know of his matches here in the States. But if you go on YouTube, you'll be able to find much of his shit that happened in uh, Japan. And that shit is probably... As great as his matches that you could probably name on all those fingers and toes are, his shit in Japan is probably the best of it all. And and then there were the matches that happened when no camera was rolling. Matches like a- another great that I saw was Terry Funk against... <laughs> Dustin Rhodes in WCW. And this was during Terry's second run in the company. Uh, About the time that uh, WCW was beginning to collect the boards that it would use to shutter the windows and uh, board up the doors. And at that time... That was, well, let's just say it was well past his heyday. And (laughs) as you saw him moonsault off the top rope onto the floor, or pummel at Dustin's forehead in such a fashion that you were sure he was going for blood, It was still as if you were watching Terry Funk 15 years ago. But, you know, that match was... Again, it it was as if you had turned back the time on him. And he brought out the best in Dustin. 
So to say that he brought out the best in one of the best, you know that match had to be just fucking crazy. And it was. It was almost as crazy as that old man. Who, I, I would find out the hard way that, yeah, he, yeah he, he's pretty fucking crazy. Because this match also happened when a little bit to the east of me, there was a company that employed a large Samoan in a diaper, or what looked to be a diaper, as that big bastard gave each and every one of his opponents what he had deemed a stink face. And on this particular night, both Terry and Dustin decided that they would try and give each other their very own stink faces. And it was on that night that I sat near the corner where Terry delivered his. And it was on that night that as he pulled down his tights, I saw more of Terry Funk than I ever cared to admit. Because just as much as Jake Roberts ever did, that old man's pasty white wrinkly ass still haunts me to this day. And I still count my blessings that he stopped when he did and didn't pull down his uh, pants any farther, because I probably would have ended up seeing his undercarriage, and I, I just wasn't, and I never will be ready for that. But, and you know, in many ways, that story, as, as humorous as it is, proves my point that he not only had the talent to bring you to your feet with so much as a good 15 minutes out there. But as much as he had the talent, he had the drive and the passion that it obviously takes to be able to go out there night after night, hour after hour, week after week, month after month, and decade after decade, and do everything that you can for every second that you're there to entertain every single person in that crowd. Whether it be <laughs> pulling down your pants and shoving your ass into the face of the son of the son of a plumber, or getting blown up <laughs> and dropped into thumbtacks and glass in Japan. Whether it be any of that or any number of other things, it takes a certain kind of person to go through any of that one time and still keep their passion for the business and for doing what they're doing and that love for it and for the chance to be able to hear us cheer. And if it takes a special kind of man, be able to go through it one time and still keep that kind of outlook. 
I can't even imagine what kind of person it takes to do it for as long as Terry has done it. And for that alone, not only do I think that he is absolutely one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time, but it's also because of that that I I would cherish the chance to be able to shake his hand and thank him for all he's done. But either way, thank you, Terry. But next on the list is a man that Terry's had more than probably a dozen and a half excellent matches with. And that man is Mick Foley. Because it's known, very well known, that Mick, in, in many ways, has the same outlook as the Funker. In that every night that he's gone out there, he, he gives you every last bit of him. You know, and, and, and he's willing to do everything that he can to entertain. Even if that means putting his body on the line and his life at risk. And Mick has done that for longer than anyone would have expected him to live through. But he's on this list because of the fact that, in my opinion, too many fans look at him and and see someone who is willing to go to the extreme. But too many of you bastards really only look at the Hell in the Cell match and before. And because of that, you're missing some of the best damn matches that he ever gave us. And, And not just the matches, though. But you're also missing out on some of the best fucking promos that have ever been filmed. I mean, you're missing things like the King of the Death match in Japan. Not to mention his matches with Vader in WCW, which for the time that those matches happened, They, in my opinion, were the best matches that the company had in those years which they occurred. But not only are you missing those, you're missing things like Kane Dewey in ECW, or his promos uh, when he, he forgot who he was in WCW. Which, I mean, sure, that angle didn't last long, but still. You know, not to mention any other number of WCW and ECW promos. But you're also missing promos like the King of the Deathmatch promo. That promo is... I, I know I talked in one of the uh, more recent episodes, about his ECW promo, 
going into one of the WWE produced one night stands. As much as that gives me chills. <sighs> Fuck. The King of the Deathmatch promo fucking mesmerizes me. So when you take a man like that, who can do that on the mic, and uh, you, you add in the fact that he's willing to basically do just anything that he can short of ending his own damn life and probably not even too short of that uh, in order to just entertain and then you add into the fact that he could wear three faces of Foley at the same time and in the case of one pay-per-view a Royal Rumble wear them all on the same night when you take that and you uh, just bundle it all up with a nice little bow that's uh, missing an ear that's when you get someone like Foley and so to say that yeah of course he he got the hardcore title and they completely <laughs> fucked that whole thing up after him and made it so that it uh, pretty much meant only about half as much as it should but yeah he, he held that title and he, he even held uh, the WWE title but he never held either of those titles for near as long as he should have because not only does he have the talent, he has the ear for it as well. Which, conveniently enough, was his only ear. But he could call it in the ring like nobody else could. And that wasn't just because he had been doing it for as long as he had. Or that uh, he was just that good, which he still was. But... It was because he understood the fans, like very few do. He had the ability to go out there and truly listen because he knew us. Because in many ways, he was us. He grew up a fan, and unlike many who eventually get into the business... He never forgot what it felt like to be a fan. And it's because of that that he could hear the cheers and jeers of the crowd and know which way he was going with whoever it was. You know, and that's an ability that if he had just slowed down just a little bit, even if it left a fan or two a little perturbed because they wanted to see uh, the hardcore legend. But if he had just slowed his roll, <laughs> even just a little, and if Vince had dared to keep the title on him for a whole damned year, I, I could guarantee you that not only would 
that year have been one of the top grossing years of the company. But it would have also left whoever he dropped that title to. Even if it was someone to the extent of Rock or or Stone Cold, it would have put over whoever it was so that no matter what, he looked (laughs) so much better than he ever did. And if you say that (laughs) it would have put over someone like Stone Cold or The Rock, who were already way over, to the point where they would have come out smelling <laughs> like a dozen roses compared to <laughs> what they already were? Hell, that's not a testament to them. That's a testament to whoever they were going against. And I have <laughs> no doubt in my mind that Mick Foley could have done that for them and just about anybody else. That's why I say that no matter how great he was, and even with the state of his body now, probably still is, I have no doubt that he belongs on the list. And that's uh, a damn shame if I ever heard it. So... But, uh, let's see, we've only got a couple more names on this list, so. Next up is uh, Mr. Perfect, who, in in more ways than one, (laughs) was absolutely deserving of his name. Because he was perfect in ways that, frankly, we probably never realized. Because... You know, no matter what he did, even when he lost, he came out of it. <laughs> With you still convinced that, yeah, he, he was perfect. And whether it was him against Macho Man, or Bret Hart, or Razor Ramon, or Lord knows how many. He he was so good at (laughs) being so obnoxious that you really felt like he was uh, just that full of himself. And that was just on the mic or in promos. But when mentioning some of the greatest matches, some of the greatest technical matches of all time, I can almost promise... (laughs) I can almost guarantee that just as many of those matches would have involved Kurt Henning as would have involved a heart. Because he was just that good and methodical. Which actually makes it even sadder that if you were to ask any number of fans who their favorite intercontinental champions were, only about half of them would probably name Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. And that that's just 
something I I just don't get. I I, I just don't. Okay, and and really, it wasn't just his matches or his promos, because he could go out there and sit in the corner of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, as Flair went up against someone uh, like Randy Savage. And he could go out there as those two sweat and, and bled all over the damned mat. And in many ways, he could damn near steal the attention and elevate the match. And he could do that without even stepping into the ring for even a nanosecond. And when you take that kind of ability to do such a thing and combine it with the ability to go out there and give them a match that <laughs> was only about 20 minutes, but felt like it had gone on for an hour, and not in a bad way, but if only because it had just that much action. And, and when you put all that into one box, you know, that's when you get something that is absolutely perfect. And speaking of somebody who was perfect at selling obnoxious as all hell, the last on the list, and probably the best example of underrated, is <laughs> Ted DiBiase. The Million Dollar Man. And, and here's another that... <laughs> yeah, he, he was not only good at selling obnoxious, but he takes basically everything that I've said about any of these guys and combines it all into one single ball of fun. And you really bought him. As just a complete jackass. But you also had a man who <laughs> was willing to do whatever he had to to <laughs> entertain you. Just as much as Mick Foley or Terry Funk had that within them. I mean, the list goes on. He, he could sell the idea of him just as much as Kurt did, and just as well, and he could have a match that was so damn good that you really didn't care if it was the only one on the card, because like Arn, he had the ability to go out there with anybody and make you look like a million fucking bucks. But he also had the mind for the business, like Dusty, thanks to the fact that, like Jake, 
he grew up in it. You take all these little characteristics of all these other guys on this list, and you put these characteristics within a man, and you begin to realize how horrible it is that this man never got anything more than the million dollar belt because he should have gotten the belt in mid-south he should have gotten the nwa belt the awa belt and he should have sure as fuck gotten the ww <laughs> belt because you know, even if it was just for a short while, he could have done so much with that belt. I mean, think about it. Around the time that he, kayfabe, bought Andre the Giant, nothing would have made him and his reign more memorable than the optics of him walking down the aisle with <laughs> the amazingly talented Andre the Giant while having the million dollar belt draped over one shoulder and the actual belt, you know, the world title belt draped over the other. Because he was so damned good at playing smug that... <laughs> I don't think that there would have been anything other than that single visual that really could have hit home that character. And I think that there were a lot of people on this list and, and off this list that deserved the belt. But not only did he deserve the belt, I think that, in many ways, he may not have needed the belt. But yeah, he, he needed the belt. The man may have not needed the belt. But the character, he needed that belt. Because he would have put that belt over in so many ways. And that belt would have done the same for him. And imagine the run that he would have had with that belt. And because, like the rest of them, he never got that chance. That's why he's on this list. And because you have to admit, when it comes to Million Dollar Man, above all else... They squandered him like they never had before. And they never have since. And above all else, that's why he tops this list. But before we uh, <laughs> wrap up here, I'd like to emphasize this list with <laughs> three <laughs> what I feel are very important honorable mentions. 
Mean Gene Oakland, Mr. Fuji, and Jim Cornette. Because these guys could make even the worst of talent seem like a superstar. I mean, Mean Gene was absolutely positively pertinent to selling and putting over half the guys that came in and through New York. And without him, people like Honky Tonk Man would probably be little more than your run-of-the-mill average Las Vegas Elvis impersonator. And I'm not even talking about one of those guys on the strip. <laughs> no, no, he, he, he wouldn't have even made it that far. He, he would have been somewhere between Vegas and Reno <laughs> in some poor bumfuck town that <laughs> tried to play itself off as being so close that it was basically part of Vegas. I mean, without him, <laughs> Lanny Poffo, oh, yeah, he, he and uh, the genius gimmick wouldn't have made it for nearly as long in the WWE <laughs> as he did. No matter whose brother he was. And that's that's just cold hard fact. I mean, mean Gene was so damned over that when he made it on Nitro uh, to Minnesota or uh, South Dakota or North Dakota, any little bit of that general area that was... Close enough to him being home again. I've never heard the arena so damned loud. So, uh, to, to say that he was only in the ring asking questions for all of about a, a at a time. Well, fuck. That's saying more than I could ever say. So, I'll leave... I'll leave Mean Gene at that. But then, in the subject of managers, I, I don't think that, uh, frankly, there's anyone that's more underappreciated than Jim Cornette. Because outside of the cult of Cornette, there are not many who really understand how vital he was to talking asses into seats. He, he could have made a Kenny Omega versus a peanut butter sandwich match at Madison Square Garden sell out. Okay? That's all, that's all there is to it. I mean... He never had to swing that racket. I mean, he, he did swing it, but he, he never had to to get over. 
because he let his mouth cash those checks <laughs> that uh, the rest of his body couldn't. And now he, he wasn't afraid of taking bumps, but he didn't have to because <laughs> he let that mic do the work and <laughs> he used his insurmountable talent on the microphone do what he needed to do which was again <laughs> to talk asses into the seats per uh, those guys that might not have been able to do so by themselves because <laughs> Yeah, you had, I talk a lot about, and even in this episode, I've talked a lot about uh, the guys that were as amazing on the microphone as they were in the ring, but you don't always get that. There are some guys that can wrestle a damned broomstick and make it absolutely fucking amazing. And keep you all on the edge of your seat while doing so. Yet, they can't do a single damn thing <laughs> on the mic. <laughs> They're just left bumbling and stumbling. And leaving you groaning. And then, there are those guys that <laughs> could talk circles around even the best. And yet... When it came to them getting in the ring. Oh, God. <sighs> that feels better. You know, and so because of that, you needed guys like Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And yes, I. I consider Jim Cornette to be right up there with Bobby. And same goes for Mr. Fuji. And especially Mr. Fuji, because unlike Cornette, who, yeah, he, he could take a bump, but probably didn't necessarily want to. But Bobby and Mr. Fuji were absolutely wonderful in the ring. And <laughs> they they get their dues for their work in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, but <laughs> most people don't appreciate, and hell, probably most of them don't even know about their work before that. When those two in particular were actually active wrestlers. And no, they they weren't your Harley races. They may not have had the uh, physique of Billy Graham or the athletic talent of uh, someone like Tully Blanchard. But... Oh my god, they were 
uh, more entertaining than most people <laughs> uh, even know. And those who know, uh, they, they were more entertaining and better within those four corners than you guys give them credit for. So, because of that, yes, those three, Cornette, Fuji, and Heenan. Yeah, I, I know I said three honorable mentions and that uh, Heenan would make it four, but fuck it, it's my show, I'm going with it. Because uh, most of those guys may have gotten their dues as uh, managers. And, and then some. But no, they... <laughs> They sure as hell didn't get the due that they were uh, very deserving of. That's a damned pity. And as far as Cornette, he, he's not only one of the probably top three guys to ever have grabbed a mic while in the ring, but he's one of the absolute best minds within the business ever so there's that not to mention the fact that he's one of the uh, reasons that I ever started podcasting so go over to his show and thank him or whatever you want to do but with that, I give you my underutilized and underrated list in the very first installment of The Shits. What about people like uh, Kenny Bolin? Good point, but uh, he was never on WWE <laughs> program. Too bad. We're done here. Oh well. And if you like this and uh, any of my other episodes... Head on over to Patreon.com right now and type in, in the search, Fickle Fanboy RPM, and find me, and uh, support the show. And, yeah, before you do, check out the page, because there are some pretty sweet perks that you uh, get and for no other reason than just supporting the show. So... Check it out. And if you have any other ideas uh, for uh, either underrated wrestlers or future installments of this particular segment, you know, uh, more ideas for future lists that I can comprise while right there on the uh, crapper, you know, uh, tweet them. Find me on Twitter at, at FickleFanboyRPM and tweet me the ideas. And I'll go ahead and take some fiber and uh, a few laxatives and I'll go ahead and comprise as many lists as you damned well want. I'll squeeze them all out. All you gotta do is send me the ideas. Until you do, and 
until I come back at you in uh, two weeks. I guess for now, it's time for me to be uh, hitting that good old dusty trail. But before we go, I'd just uh, like to throw this out there. Because if you're looking for a new podcast to tune into when you're not enjoying mine, do me a favor by doing yourself a favor and check out Just Another Week podcast with Keys, Ali, Jay Carter, and T Mike as they sit down weekly to catch up on all the current events, tackle real life topics, and maybe even occasionally battle over songs of the weeks. And if that sounds as much like your cup of tea as it is mine, and you want to know where to listen, well, I got you covered. Because you can go to justanotherweekpodcast.podbean.com and tell them that uh, the Fickle Fanboy, uh, RPM, sent you over. And hopefully they won't kick you out. And new episodes drop every Monday morning on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, and the website that I just ran down. Just another week podcast.podbean.com. So, if you hate Monday mornings, and without my coffee, I sure as hell do. Start your week off right with these guys. Because on any given week, well, on Monday morning, you still have a good, uh, I don't know, seven days or so until you see my ass again. So hit them up because they like to chop it up about music and sports and entertainment and uh, as I said, real-life situations, <laughs> they get real as it is. Uh, and, you know, that may include uh, something or other about not using condoms. Uh, yeah, uh, um, uh, what I mean to say is, ooh, uh, you should find and listen to them <laughs> ASAP. You, you, you should just, you know what, just go listen to them to find out. So, uh, you may end the week with me, but please, if you don't listen to me about anything, and there's a good chance you might not, I want you to start your week off with uh, just another week podcast every Monday. So, tune in, damn it, and you'll be a better person for it. But... Uh, for now, and for me, that's been another week, and that's been another episode of the Fickle Fanboy. So, well, thanks for listening, and uh, I'll be seeing you.